0: Tell you a little bit about uh, this new Wednesday night class we're doing called Project Reformation. When we, our summer classes, we always like to pare that down uh, to not offer as many classes as we do in the fall and the spring. We'd like to have one main one that we encourage as many people to be a part of as possible, and then a couple more if uh, um, just to have something else like the men's and, and the women's class, but. Back in, at the beginning of the year, we went through about three, three and a half months on looking at uh, the series called The Power of the Spirit. Just how the Holy Spirit is still operating in our lives today and in, in His people and the gifts of the Spirit and things like that. Well, this Project Reformation that we're going to be doing on Wednesday nights is really a continuation of that. That series was the what, and this is going to be really the how. Uh, Greg and Amanda Bowen, uh, Greg's sister Kim and uh, some other family members, they are members of our church and they are filmmakers. They make short uh, films and documentaries and they show those at different film festivals and they've won awards at those and they're really talented at what they do. They actually put together the videos that we showed that went up on our website, just excellent work that they do. Well, they have made a documentary that um, really documents the journey that God led them on in their discovery of the things of the spirit how they went from being completely oblivious to it and uh, just not really knowing it at all or believing that the spirit operates with power like he does today to discovering that in their own lives and so next Wednesday we're going to be showing that documentary here in the sanctuary so i invite everybody to come and watch that, and then that 's going to be the catalyst that 's going to kick off this this training that we 're going to do on how really to hear the Lord in your own life and and how to tap into that the Holy Spirit working in uh, supernatural ways in your own life and like Danny said, this is for the whole family um, if if you have kids in your home, we encourage you to to pull them out of a youth or kid zone just for that time being and to be a part of that. Uh, but if your family just includes you, you come too. And so it's for everybody in the church. And so we want as many people to be a part of that as possible. But come next Wednesday, see the documentary, and it's going to be good. I'm really excited about it. So that's what that's about. All right, 1 Thessalonians. Today as we continue the series, we're going to start... With uh, the beginning of chapter 2, we're going to look at the first four verses there, so let's all stand together and read this together. Paul's writing, and he says, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain, but after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. For our exhortation does not come from error or impunity or by way of deceit, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. Let's pray. Lord, I am so grateful for your word and the truths that are contained in this text that you have laid before us this morning. And God, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would open our eyes to see these truths for what they are. Lord, that they not just go in one ear and out the other, but God, I pray that our minds will be transformed by this. Our hearts, Lord, uh, would be changed by this. Jesus, let us see you for who you are. Understand what it is you have done, and uh, Lord, be glorified in it. In your name we pray. Amen. So in verse 2 here, Paul refers to him and his companions as uh, being mistreated in Philippi before they came here to Thessalonica. And what he's talking about is actually recorded in Acts chapter 16 and 17, where it talks about how they were in Philippi and they were walking along through the city there on their way to a place of prayer. They're essentially on their way to a prayer meeting when this demon-possessed slave girl starts harassing them. Uh, The demonic spirit that was in this slave girl could um, predict the future. And so those who owned this girl, her masters, they, they made a lot of money in using her to tell people's fortunes. Well, this demonic spirit could also tell that Paul and Silas possessed something as well. They had a spirit in them too, but it was the spirit of God. And every time this girl saw them, she would follow along and say, These men are bondservants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. And that's all that she would say. And even though what she said was true, apparently she was saying it in some kind of rude and, and condescending way. It says that she would do this several days in a row. Every time she saw them, she would follow along and and say this about them, but Paul and Silas would ignore her. But at some point, Paul had finally had enough of this. The text says that he was greatly annoyed. And so he turns to this girl and commands the demonic spirit to come out of her in the name of Jesus, and immediately it does. Well, the girl's masters aren't very happy about this at all because they had just lost their ability to make money off of her by telling people their fortunes. And so they dragged Paul and Silas to the city officials and uh, accused them of stirring everybody in the city up and teaching things that they shouldn't be teaching. The officials ordered them to be beat with rods and thrown into prison. This leads to the famous incident where Paul and Silas begin singing praise and worship songs to God in the middle of the night in the prison. God sends an earthquake that causes the prison doors to open up and their chains to fall off and a guard there with them gets saved. Well, they're released the next morning in order to leave the city of Philippi for good and never come back again. Now, looking at their time spent there in Philippi, it would be easy to say that their trip was not successful at all. And unlike some of the other towns that they went to along their journey where there were many people who were saved, they would stand up in the synagogues in the town and and in the town squares, and there'd be a big group of people they would preach the gospel to, and a lot of them would get saved. But here in Philippi, we only read of two people coming to faith there. It was a lady named Lydia and the jailer who was watching over them when they were in prison. And so if you look at how many people were saved versus what it cost them, it'd be easy to say, well, that trip wasn't worth it at all. Now, when it says in the text that they were beaten with rods, it doesn't really convey just how horrible of an ordeal that really was. Beating with rods was another form of Roman capital punishment that they often used to to punish and intimidate their subjects like scourging and crucifixion. The rods were made of birch wood which the Romans used to mercilessly beat the offenders all over their bodies. There are some historical accounts that tell of many people who died from this thing died from this type of punishment and what we know of paul and silas's experience was that theirs was so bad that they had these wounds all over them that needed to be washed and cared for which is what their guard did after he got saved so they were brutally beaten with these rods and then thrown into the deepest part of this prison where it was pitch dark. I'm sure the smell was horrible. It was probably damp in there. Their feet are locked in stocks and they're sitting there in this pain with these sores oozing from their body. I mean talking about a miserable situation and that's the price that they paid for just two people getting saved. Well, actually, it was just one person getting saved at this point because the jailer hadn't been saved yet. So just for Lydia, this lady to be saved, this is the price that Paul and Silas paid for that. So some might say that their time could have been better spent somewhere else besides Philippi. You could at least say this this was a huge setback for the spreading of the gospel And for most people, that probably would have been enough for them to throw in the towel. Just say, well, I'm not ever doing that again. Thanks a lot, God. Look what I get for obeying you. But in Thessalonians 2, 2, Paul says, Having already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, we had the boldness of our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. Not only does Paul refuse to let this slow him down, but he continues to preach the gospel even in the face of more opposition when he got to Thessalonica. It's like it never stopped. From the moment that he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus until the day that he had his head removed from his body in Rome, Paul's life was marked by constant opposition. He even makes a list of some of the opposition that he faced in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 where he talks about being whipped and beaten with rods, stoned, shipwrecked, left for dead, suffering hunger, thirst, sleep deprivation, and exposure. But none of that ever slowed him down for a second or made him question what he was doing. Why is that? I mean, what motivated Paul to the point that no matter what kind of opposition he faced, it never slowed him down? In fact, it even seemed like the worse the opposition was, the more motivated Paul was to keep on keeping on. But what, what allowed him to overcome the opposition like that? Well, he actually tells us in verse 4, where he mentions three things that kept him motivated. And we're going to look at each of these three things, but before we do, it's important to understand how these apply to us as well today. Because we may not have the same exact calling on our lives that Paul had, but we do have a calling for those of us who belong to Christ that is going to come with much opposition. If you belong to God through faith in Jesus, you are going to face opposition in this world. And the more that you leverage your life for the sake of the gospel, the more opposition you are going to face. It's just as simple as that. Now, I'm not talking about the regular struggles that all of us are going to deal with living in a broken world. I mean, everyone whether they're saved or not, are going to suffer and struggle to some extent just because of the brokenness of this world we live in. Matthew 5.45 says he causes the sun to rise on the good and the evil and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Everyone will suffer and struggle to some degree just for the simple fact that we live in a world that is broken by the effects of sin. But if your life has been bought by the blood of Jesus, there is a whole nother level of that that you get to face. Not only will we face the regular struggles of this broken world, but we now have a huge target on us. There is direct opposition to Christ in this world. And everyone who belongs to him become the object of that opposition. We have a real enemy who doesn't want Jesus to be known. And he will do everything in his power to keep us from letting Christ be known through our lives. And he wants to take as many people as he can with him into the darkness. Now, when I talk about letting Jesus be known, I'm not talking about just with the words that we say. I mean, yes, we are called to announce what God has done through Jesus. But it also includes letting him be known by the way that we live. Through our, our character, our integrity, our actions. How we speak to and treat others. And that opposition is going to try everything it can to keep us from letting Jesus be known that way as well. Even though we tend to take it for granted... We all know how blessed and privileged privileged we are to live in a country that allows us to to practice our faith freely. I mean, we don't face the kind of opposition to that that Paul and the other apostles did, at least for the time being. I mean, I'm afraid that that will change in the not too um, distant future. But we don't face this same kind of opposition now. But we do face an opposition that I believe is just as strong and just as relentless as this kind of opposition that Paul dealt with. And I would go so far as to say that it could be even harder to stand against and not give in to. Opposition comes in many forms. It includes things like the pull to follow the crowd for the sake of acceptance and popularity, the enticement of prestige and position, the lies that something other than God will satisfy, the cultural trend where we just spend countless hours of our day just consumed with the most trivial things thanks to our handheld devices. But it's also things like the shame and guilt of past mistakes, the religious attitude that says good behavior earns God's favor, favor and bad earns his disgust. I mean, these are the enemies, the opposition that we face, temptation, rejection, fear, guilt, Religion. I'm telling you right now, some of those things can beat you down just as hard as a Roman rod. So, how do we overcome that opposition? How do we not allow those things to keep us from living the life that Jesus saved us for? How do we stay motivated to overcome the opposition? Well, I believe it's the same way that Paul did with these three things that he mentions in verse 4. Let's look at them. And they're included there in your notes if you'd like to follow along there in the bulletin. In the first part, he says, just as we have been approved by God. So the first thing that Paul used as motivation was God's approval. Now, be careful how you take that. Because our default mentality is to think that that means that he was motivated by the desire for God's approval. And make no mistake, we all have that desire in us because God created every one of us with a desire for the approval of the Father. And you can see this just in the way that that every every child so desperately wants to hear their dad say, I'm proud of you. I'm so proud of you. And if you never got that from your dad, It is a desire that you will never grow out of. That longing to hear the words of a dad say, I'm proud of you, will always be there. In fact, until you find that approval in God alone, the approval of your earthly father will always seem just out of reach. And it will haunt you your entire life. There are grown men today who are still consumed by the longing of their father's approval. I've counseled several men who came to me because they were losing their family. And a big reason for that was because they were spending so much time at work and not near enough time in their home. I'm telling you right now, that is a chronic epidemic in many homes today. It just gets fed even more by our culture that celebrates hard work and material success. In fact, being busy and working a lot has become the sign of significance in our culture today. I mean, ask anybody how they're doing. So, what have you been up to? 99% of the time you're going to hear... Well, I'm busy, just working, working hard, staying busy, which is code word in our culture for I'm important, I'm significant, I'm successful. And yes, I mean, don't get me wrong. Being a hard worker is a great characteristic. God created us for work. Work is not a result of the fall. God told us to work and gave us that ability before sin even entered the picture. So work is a good thing from God, but not if it's done at the expense of our families. For a lot of men that I counseled in that situation, the reason why they were sacrificing their family for work wasn't because they had this greedy desire for more money, or a desire to climb the corporate ladder or anything like that, the root cause was when all the layers were peeled back and we got down to the root, is that they were still trying to gain the approval and acceptance of their father. And thought that they could do that by working harder and being more successful at work. I'm telling you, that desire is so strong that we're willing to sacrifice our families on the altar of the Father's approval. And for those of you who can relate to that, you need to hear this. Until you find the favor of your heavenly Father and understand what that means, the approval of your earthly Father will never be good enough. It never will be. And the reason why is because God wired you in such a way that the only way for that desire to be fully satisfied is in him alone. Amen. It's only in him. He put that desire in us to draw us to him. And so when I say that Paul was motivated by God's approval, I'm not talking about the way that a, a son works hard to gain or earn the approval of their dad God's approval is not ever earned. It's given. It is a free gift just given to those who trust in Jesus. Paul wasn't motivated for God's approval. He was motivated because of it. In other words, he didn't overcome opposition to gain it. He was able to overcome opposition because he knew that he had it. There is a big difference between those two. And so if you're following along there in your notes, under God's approval, just put, because of, not for. Because of, not for. I'm telling you right there, that'll change everything for you when you start living because of and not for. And Paul knew that he didn't have it because of anything that he did, but only because of what Jesus did. To be in Christ means to be in the approval of the Father. And it is an approval that you will never be able to earn more of and an approval that you will never be able to get less of because it doesn't depend on you. It depends on Jesus. And if you are in Christ, you have as much of God's approval as you could ever possibly get. I mean, this is the same motivation that Jesus had to begin his ministry and allowed him to be successful in what he did. When he began his ministry on day one, when he was 33 years old, the very first thing he does is go down to the river to be baptized by his cousin John. And when he came up out of that water, it says the Holy Spirit ascended on him like a dove and a voice from heaven could be heard by everyone around saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. For him to begin his mission in life, he was able to hear the words that every son longs to hear from their dad. This is mine, and I'm so proud of him. Jesus stepped out of that water and walked straight into the wilderness where he spent 40 days and 40 nights tempted by Satan and then went on to accomplish his purpose, his mission with excellence. But in order for him to do that, Father knew that the first thing he needed to do was not fill his head with instruction, but fill his heart with affirmation. Amen. And that's exactly what Paul had the approval of God that motivated him to do everything that he did. And then the next thing, verse 4 says, is approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. Second thing that motivated Paul was that he knew he was entrusted with the gospel. To be entrusted with something means to place confidence in, to be chosen to care for something or, or to accomplish a particular task. A great example of this idea was uh, portrayed in the movie Lord of the Rings. How many of you ever saw those or, or read any of those books? I know more of you did. Come on. <laughs> I mean, Frodo was chosen entrusted with carrying that ring to Mordor the whole movie was uh, uh, just showing that that whole journey and it was a uh, symbolic of what it means to be entrusted with the gospel in fact many of you know J.R. R. Tolkien who wrote those stories was a devout Christian and he he wrote those stories with that purpose in mind to 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 symbolize that journey to be entrusted with with the gospel like that. If you are saved, that means that you have been chosen to be entrusted with the gospel as well. And I'm telling you right now, this is no small matter. It's something to be taken lightly. We have been entrusted with the answer to mankind's deepest questions and the cure for its brokenness. Like I said earlier. Most of us don't, aren't going to have the same exact call that Paul had, but we all have been entrusted with the gospel. Paul was called to go all over the Roman Empire to share the gospel with everyone there. You may not be called to travel the world, but you have been entrusted with it nonetheless right where you are, in your workplace, at your school, in your home. But here's the deal about that. We aren't going to be very motivated at all if we don't really know what it is that we've been entrusted with. Or if we have a misunderstanding of what we've been entrusted with. Paul knew that the gospel, the message that he was entrusted with was so good I mean, it was so good, nothing in this world could stop him from telling others about it. And I would submit that the reason why Christians here in the United States today are not near as excited about it as Paul was is because it's a different message. It's not the same message see, Paul had it and understood it in its simplest and purest form. But the gospel in much of the Western world today has been watered down and added to with legalism, tradition, religion, humanism, prosperity. It's been confused with the American dream. thinking it's something like 12 steps to make your life better. It is not techniques and tactics and how to avoid sinful behavior. It's not how to have your best life now or anything other than through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God has done for you what you could not and could never be able to do for yourself. It's not about all the things that you must do. It's about all the things that Jesus has done for you. And I can tell you this, Satan's not going to put up much of an effort to come against a watered-down gospel. He doesn't need to. An altered version of the gospel has opposition built into it already. Like the Bible says, a little leaven spoils the whole lump. But the more that we get back to the simplicity and purity of the gospel, which I'm so thankful that that's what God is doing right now, not just in this church, but in in many right now. There is a movement that God is, is leading us through right now. But the more we get back to that, I'm telling you, the more opposition we are going to face to that. Opposition to the things of God shouldn't concern us. What should concern us is if we're going through a period of time where we're not facing any opposition. Whoa, what are we saying wrong? Where have we gotten off here? We should be experiencing some opposition. And knowing that you've been entrusted with it also means knowing that your life has a purpose. It's a whole lot easier to stand against opposition when you're dead set on a purpose in mind. And if you are in Christ, you have a purpose. You have been chosen by the Most High God to be a representative of His kingdom here on earth and to demonstrate how that kingdom operates. You have been given a mandate to take possession of and subdue the earth for the glory of God. And when you are dead set on your purpose... It's hard for any kind of opposition to slow you down. And in the last part of verse 4, not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. The third thing that motivated Paul was the desire to please God, not people. And this is really a product of number one, understanding what it means to have God's approval. Because when you know what it means... To have the approval of God. You don't really care about trying to gain the approval of anyone else. <laughs> Nothing compares to his. And I can tell you right now. I used to be a people pleaser. Being set free from that is one of the greatest things that ever happened in my Christian life. And when I say set free, brother, I mean free. Because being a people pleaser is is bondage. It is bondage. It's the most stressful and miserable way to live because people pleasers always find themselves overwhelmed and spread too thin because they just can't bring themselves to say no to anyone. Afraid that they're going to be disappointed in them. Have you ever seen one of those variety or talent shows where somebody's there trying to spin a bunch of plates? They got these thin sticks sticking up, and they've got like six to ten plates. And they start with one, and they spin a plate on top of that stick, and they leave it and let it spin. And then they go and spin another one, and then they add another one to that. But one they're getting before they can start the other one, they got to go back to this one and get it spinning again so it doesn't fall. And so the whole time they're starting to spin these plates and all these sticks, they got to keep going back to the ones that are slowing down and go to this one and then go to this one making sure they all stand up and none of them falls. That is a great illustration of the life of a people pleaser. Constantly going around making sure that everybody's happy, making sure that nobody's disappointed with them, and constantly stressed out because you never really know who you're pleasing or not. Is It is miserable. having a strong desire to please people and gain the acceptance and approval of others, it is a huge hindrance to a follower of Christ. It'll cause you to compromise truth. It'll cause you to try to live with one foot in the world and one foot in the church. You won't commit to one or the other because you know that if you do, Whoever you step out of may not approve, may not be pleased. The ironic thing is that when you try to please everyone, you end up pleasing no one. So you might as well just stop trying. You have to choose which life you're going to live, the one that God saved you to or the one that he saved you from. But I promise you, you cannot live both just can't now the key for having these three things be what motivates you the way that they did paul is not just try harder That's how our natural minds tend to work. If we want to improve something in our life and improve or try to be a better Christian, we'll think, well, I just have to try harder. I I just need to try harder to focus on my purpose. I need to just try harder not to be a people pleaser all the time. No, I'll tell you, that's not how Paul got there. The reason why these things motivated him is because he knew who Jesus was, what he had done, and who Paul was in him. All this was just a product of knowing that. And so, if you struggle with any of these things I talked about today, the prayer that you should be praying is not, Lord, help me try harder in this. The prayer that you should pray is, Lord, let me see you for who you are. Lord, give me a revelation of your love so I'll know what it means to have your approval. Overwhelm me with your grace to such an extent that my desire to please you is so far greater than my desire to please anyone else. Like I always say, the goal of Christianity is not to stop sinning or to try harder. The goal of Christianity is to know Jesus. Everything else comes from that. All these things I talked about are just products of knowing Him, not knowing about Jesus, but truly knowing him, like you know a close friend. <clears throat> now there was something else that I was going to include in this, something that the Lord showed me about this that uh, but the more I started looking at it. The more I realized I would do a disservice to it by just trying to shove it in here. I really need a whole sermon dedicated to that. So next week, we're going to look at this a little further and really at the enemies that we face in life. Because if you belong to Jesus, you have enemies. So we're going to look at that and we're going to actually pause Thessalonians and go look at a text in Psalms with it. If you like to read ahead and study it yourself this week, it's Psalm 54. But I'm telling you, when the Lord showed me this, I got so excited, man. There some good, It's a very short chapter, but it is full of so much good gospel truth. So that's what we're going to do next week, so don't miss that. But your takeaway from this today is that you need to know that if you are in Christ, you have the approval of God. You have it. That's good news. You need to know that you have been entrusted with the cure for what ails humanity. You need to know that you don't have to kill yourself, stress yourself out, trying to please everyone else. Because you know what? If you're in Jesus, God is pleased with you. He's pleased. He is so good he just wants you to know him. He just wants you to know him. He doesn't give you a list of instructions and say, here, I need you to do this, this, and this, and this so that I can bless you and, and make you better. No, just, just get to know me. Because when you know him, it changes everything. Let's pray. God, is it, it is an incredible thing that you even allow us to know you. We don't deserve that. We deserve to be cast so far away from you. To be cut off from you. But God, just the fact that you want us to know you, it it boggles the mind. Lord, how silly it is if we have that opportunity for us to allow the petty and the trivial things of this world to to keep us from getting to know you more. Lord, I pray for those in here this morning who, Lord, when I talked about that approval of their earthly fathers, Lord, it, it hit a nerve. And God, you've showed them that that's what they've been striving for their whole life. God, I pray that you would show them right now, Lord, how that can only be satisfied in you. So, Lord, give them a revelation of your love and your favor that is only found in Jesus. Lord, I pray for those who may have bought into a watered-down gospel. Lord, that you would remove the leaven and let them... Understand it in its simplest and purest form. And God, we would get excited about that. And just busting at the seams to share it with others, to let others know about it, God, to make the greatest announcement that has ever been made in the history of man. And Lord, let our desire to please you, to live lives that are pre- pleasing to you, God be greater than our desire to please anyone else Lord make us truly followers of you not of our own desires Lord that only happens when we see you for who you are when we truly understand what it is you have done and who you have made us by your power so Holy Spirit I'm asking you right now to come and do that work among us in Jesus name I pray amen